we're in a new sermon series, Zooming In on Discipleship. And I want to, uh, right up front, I want to try to take a second to explain where we're going. I want to just spill it all out for you uh, and invite you to, into the whole idea. And so let me share with you a few things that I think. Um, one, I think this is a great church. I think this is a really, really good church. And I love this church. And this church has been part of my life for almost 30 years. And so, uh, let me just start there. This, this is a good church, and I love it. Uh, that's the first thing I think. And when I say that, by the way, I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about this, right? Church is people. The church is the assembly of God's people who gather in God's name to be together. I love this church. This is the second thing I think. I think that one of the best qualities of this church is its genuine affection for people. I think that's one of the best qualities. Um, it's... There has been an enduring quality of affection in this fellowship uh, for as long as I can remember. The word that comes to my mind is family. You know, in 1985, when my family relocated to Delaware, my my parents, when they moved to Delaware, we were uh, far, far away from their family, and so this church became our family. This church has become a home for many families, or it has invited um, many families to make this home. And, and I think that is uh, part of what I mean when I say it has this enduring quality of affection that, that I think is, it doesn't just care about people in the collective, it cares about individual people. I'm, I'm telling you about you. I don't, it feels awkward, but I think it's true. I'll give you an example. This was a, is a fond recollection. You ever have those things that happen at the time uh, and you don't really notice how significant they are, but as, as distant time puts itself between the event and yourself, the event becomes a little bit more special. And one of these is, uh, back in 2007, I was the associate pastor here, and the church was talking, discussing going from one service to two services. It was a, it was a good, big thing in the life of the church. And I was the associate, so... I was uh, a step back from the issue. I was making spreadsheets. Did a lot of spreadsheets. And, and Rick was leading through the process. Um, but I'll never forget this. I didn't know what to do at the time, but it's become such a fond memory. When we brought it to the church and said, hey, this is you know, what we think we should do, the number one concern of the fellowship was, what about our fellowship time? The coffee time? Will we still have that, and how long will it be? That was the concern. What does that say? I, that is, is such a warm place in my heart for that little illustration. It has a, place, a special place to live because I think that is one of the best enduring qualities of this church is the way it cares about the person. That's what I think. And here's the third thing I think. I think that this enduring quality has been uh, tested and challenged as we have grown. So as we've, we've benefited and enjoyed the blessing of growth, this enduring quality of caring and loving the person 
it's every bit as real, but it's been it's been challenged. It's been challenged to figure out how does it live in a, in a slightly larger community, and it is a mysterious sort of idea. It's been so organic, and and that's how you want it, right? It's been so organic in the fellowship that as it's grown, there hasn't been a real understanding of how do you grow it. As we went from one hundred to two hundred, and two hundred to two services, and two services to three hundred, and to three fifty. As we've grown, it's, it has remained, uh, I think, mysterious. And when I say mysterious, I don't mean it's fluky or it's a magic spell. I mean there's, it's a, there are real things that the real elements of Christian fellowship are present here. But speaking for my own part, I haven't been able to understand what the measure of those elements what exactly those elements are and in what measure. In other words, it's not mysteriously happening. There's real things that we can point to that say this, this, this matters. But the exact measure that those should exist together, that's been mysterious to me. I'll give you an example. Yesterday I made myself pancakes. It's about the only thing I can bake is pancakes. And I used the Hungry Jack just to add water. That's how I, that's how I make pancakes. Now... So one could say, the only thing you need to do to make those pancakes is add water. But actually, that powder is mysterious to me. What is that powder? I mean, I have a general sense of the elements in the powder. I know that there's flour and things akin to flour (laughs) in there. In that floury mixture, I know that there's probably a salt substance. I know, but I don't understand the measure of those things. It's very, it's very mysterious to me how a pancake shows up. You heat up the powder. It is, it's, but, but the reality is, is somebody knows. Somebody knows exactly what that recipe is, and they know how to duplicate it and replicate it with just, just you know, scientific repetition. I'm saying we've had a really, really special spirit in the church, and there is a real recipe to it, but it has been somewhat mysterious to me as we've grown. And I've, I've wrestled with this. I've racked my brain around it because I love this church, and it's been part of my life for almost 30 years. I've snooped. I've explored. I've wondered what it is. I've wandered. I haven't despaired but I've been frustrated, I've prayed. Like, how do we grow and preserve that really good thing? And I think, this is the last thing that I think here, well, I think a lot of things, but I think that God in his season has uh, begun to show us uh, the measure of some of these things. And I'm excited. I'm very excited about... uh, what the Lord has, what I feel like he's, he's shown us. I feel like we've been given, as of late, a better grasp on what has, what remains probably forever a mystery, but maybe the mystery is less mysterious. A better grasp of these things, a better sense on how to preserve what it is that is so special. And I feel like I'm gaining a sense of it, but I want you to see it. And that's what the sermon series is about. I want to invite you in to see 
uh, the elements of our fellowship that work together to create the best sort of thing. And I want to expose, oh, this is why, this is why that has been challenged with growth. And over here, this is why. I, I, want it to be, um, I want it to be a sermon series of exposure so that you feel the way that I feel. That's, that's the thought. I, recently, so I, we had this aha moments, and, and I grabbed uh, uh, a wise friend in the church, a long-timer here, and I, I brought him to breakfast, and I said, hey, I want to show you this stuff. And I showed him all, I, I showed him all of what, the whole scope of what I, we, we had been putting together, who I thought we used to be, what I thought was really good about us, how I thought things had been challenged, where those challenges had come, um, how, how, and how we should take some next steps in order to pursue the kind of church God wants us to continue to be. I showed him all of that, and at the very end, I was really pleased because he got it. In other words, there was a kind of a, um, a resonance between the two of us of um, he saw the same church that I saw and he sees the same church that I see and he appreciates the same things that I appreciate. Like all of that, there was, there was a sense on the ingredients that go together. There was, ah, yes, this is legitimate. But he said to me something like, he said, hey, that's really, really good. But I got to tell you, I... I am still trying to, like, swallow the diagnosis. I, my brain can't even begin to wrestle with, like, what would be next? How, how, how would we care? Like, I just, need to, I just need to own the first part for myself. And I thought, hey, I was really glad he said that, and I think it's good for it. Is this, is, this sermon series is not on the next steps to fix something. This sermon series is there to get the whole fellowship to go, yeah, we, most of the fellowship, as many as, right, as many as are able and, and part of this. Some of you are new and you're like, oh, nobody knows me yet. But to bring as many of us together as we can to say, yeah, that, that I, when he said that, I, I, that resonated with me. That, that is about right. And, and it is interesting how that is. I want us to share in the diagnosis so that we can move on from that uh, towards the ideal. And so that's what this series is. This series is an attempt to share perspectives of our present condition, our present condition as a church, so that we can see who we are and how we can improve as a fellowship together. This is a discipling uh, sermon series. And over the next five weeks, I almost said five years, over the next five weeks, you're going to get five perspectives about this church. Okay, this is very... this. Now, it's preaching down at Loma, but it's preaching differently. So the heart is the same, but you're going to get five perspectives about this church with an eye on our present condition and, and what the ideal is. That's what you're going to do. Okay. Let's pray, and then we'll get moving. Lord, uh, help us uh, to cherish your word uh, and uh, to have ears to hear you speak out of it. And... Lord, as we continue in faith, we, we pray that we, we'd always have a heart that would give you permission to grow us. Lord, help us not to shirk away from the opportunities to grow more like you. And we pray that that would uh, be true this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 9. 
If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you, it's page 740. Luke chapter 9. Now, we have been in a sermon series up until today in the Gospel of John. We just finished a sermon series on the signs in the Gospel of John. And uh, John tells us why he gives us these things. He says at the end of his gospel that Jesus did many of these signs, but these were given to you so that you may believe. This is what he says. The signs were given to us so that we would, we would have a sense of belief about who Jesus says he is. That is the major thrust of the gospel of John, is to demonstrate to the non-believer who Jesus is so that they might believe. That's one of the reasons that the Gospel of John, more than any other book, is handed out as an evangelistic track. Here, read the Gospel of John because of, of its, its unique embrace of that idea of appreciating how to take someone for, who is not in belief into belief. And that, that happens in John. You see these, these moments that people get challenged to believe. But something else that's happening in John throughout these signs and we saw it again and again and again, was that people who were already believing were spurred into deeper belief. That happened throughout the Gospel of John as well. So that at the, the first sign, the turning of the water into wine at the wedding in Cana, you have the disciples who we must presume already had some semblance of belief, some real belief there because they were following Jesus They saw, they who already believed, saw the sign, and it says they believed. Which means, they really believed. And that happened several times in the signs. That Jesus would take people who were already in belief, and would plunge them deeper into deeper belief. And this would happen all the way, and it ends at the, the resurrection of Lazarus, where Jesus says, for my part, I'm glad that Lazarus is dead, so that you can see and believe. And he's saying that to his disciples. And so you have this, this is, I'm I'm trying to create, to bifurcate this idea for a second. You have belief, which in one sense is this invitation to move from not believing who Jesus is to believing who Jesus is, to being outside the kingdom of God and then to move inside the kingdom of God to not having a Savior, to receiving Jesus Christ as Savior. That is one central idea of belief. Then there is this progressive idea of belief. So this is objective. Are you or are you not a believer? Then over here is the progressive idea, which is God seems to be equally concerned about moving us along in our belief. Every bit is concerned, not simply as getting us from unbelief to belief, but from getting us to belief to real belief. And that was, that was present throughout the Gospel of John. All through the Gospel, this, this idea was at work, this objective reality and then this progressive reality. And it's important. It's important for two reasons. One, it's very important to talk about belief as it relates to is someone in Christ or not. Because God wants to make that message very simple. 
You must believe. What must I do to be saved, says the Philippian jailer, to which he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your whole household, and you shall be saved. There is a necessity in the church of preserving that idea, of to move from not believing to being one of God's children is simply an issue of belief. That's really, really important. But then it's equally as important for the Bible to begin to discuss, well, what does that belief look like as it travels on in our lives? Because that is not easy. And getting ready for this message, uh, Pastor Terry, we were talking about it, and he was using this phrase, which I think is really good. He was saying that Jesus Christ is all the time both highly invitational and highly challenging. It's high on invitation, and it's high on challenge. In other words, the invitation to come believe, to come be in Christ, is, is wide open, is this wide open arm of, well, someone said, well, I'm not good enough. The answer is, you don't have to be good enough. You have to believe. But I haven't done enough good things. It isn't about the good things you've done, and the good things you've done really weren't that good anyway. So just believe, right? The gospel disarms us from any kind of thought that we equip ourselves for the kingdom. We don't. We're totally ill-equipped for the kingdom. All we do is trust on Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to save us. We come into the kingdom, and then the Lord begins to equip us within his kingdom. And so there's this, this stringent importance to preserve a wide-open and easy-swinging door for mankind to come into the kingdom of God, which is simply belief. But there is an equal imperative to challenge those who claim to believe. So Jesus, on one hand, can look to the low and the ugly and the hurting and give them so much love and invitation. And he can look to those who claim to be and say, are you sure? We might say it one other way. And it, it is, this matters. So you're maybe wondering, why do we keep mulling this? Because I'm going to I'm going to push on it in a second. We might say this. We are saved by belief in Jesus Christ, but the nature of this saving belief is that it will progress as we run the race. And, and the language that's used, okay, here's the language. When we're talking about whenever the Bible seems to be concerned with the question of how do I get into the kingdom? Am I in or am I not in? Very often it lands on the idea of belief. Do you believe? Because remember, it wants to keep it simple. But when the Bible is concerned about whether or not you as the believer are continuing in your faith, steady and stable, as it says in Colossians, if you continue in your faith, established and firmed, rooted in the Lord, if it's when it's interested in how is it progressively deepening in Christ, it doesn't use the phrase belief. Most often it uses the phrase disciple or follow. Remember, true belief matures to deep belief. But the Bible names the door of the faith belief and the life of the faith disciple. That's just, when we read the scriptures, that's how to appreciate it. It's not talking about two different things. It's talking about two sides of the very same thing. So that now we, I think we can read this scripture. 
Let's read Luke 9. Verse 23. Trusting that this is belief. It's not something new. It's not a new teaching. Luke 9, verse 23 says this, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Now does this sound like believe in Jesus Christ and you shall be saved? I mean, this is, or does this sound like we're saved on faith alone, right? The careful Protestant theologian in the room would say, but we are saved by faith alone. And it makes, it makes passages like this frustrating. This is, to me, I call this one of my love-hate passages. I love this passage because this passage reaches into me and grabs something that I'm not responsible for and shakes it and it says it's right and it's true. Something about me that's more me than the rest of me, but I can't tamper with it. And scriptures like this, when I hear them, there's something in me that wants it. Deny thyself, take up thy cross daily. That is a love-hate word, daily, right? This isn't like one day you'll do this. As you live out the days, you do this. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him. There's something in me that that loves to hear it and loves to know it and knows it's true. That Christians, true Christians, do desire that they would deny themselves. That they would have more of Jesus in their lives and less of themselves getting in the way. We do desire that our lives would be shameless for him. That we would understand that Jesus Christ is a one-way walk in this life that may incur shame and challenge and persecution. But that we would say, but the, the, the treasure of Jesus is far outseeds the shame. Like there's something in a believer that, this, that loves to hear this. And I think there's something in many, many believers that hates to hear this. Because it feels impossible. I mean, this teaching is, to me, it's a colossus of a teaching. It's a Mount Everest. I stare at Mount Everest. I want to climb it. Something in me marvels at the notion of standing on the top of the world. I know that if I got there, I would have a greater appreciation for God and his creation. But I don't want to climb it. But I do want to climb But I don't want to. I want to be up there, but I don't want to climb it. Or even on the days I do want to climb it, I have no earthly idea how to climb it. I don't even know how to start climbing it. I don't even know where it is. It's China? It's there. It's, it, it's such a big idea to me. And I think, I think teachings, teachings like this from Christ... They are not simple. This is not, this is high challenge, right? The invitation, come to me all you who are weary and I will give you rest, right? 
That's the teachings. Let the little children come to me. I've come for the sick, not the healthy. Right? Sitting down with the woman at the well. You can go all through the scriptures and find Jesus inviting with simple words and simple thoughts, simple people. All through the word. He's so invitational. And then he turns to us and says, climb that mountain. In fact, he says it differently. He says, you know what? If you had a little bit of faith, you could move it. The challenge of Christ is tremendous. I think we are very comfortable with the notion of belief. I think our American, Protestant, Western culture is very, very belief-comfortable. I'm saying belief as opposed to disciple. That we've been very careful, very careful, to make sure in our Christian religious culture that the notion that there's nothing that you can do to earn the salvation, but that you simply believe. Man, we have, we've grabbed all the forces in the kingdom available to us, and we defend the gate of grace and of invitation. There's, I mean, that gate, the enemy will never get through the gate of invitation in the, in the Western American Protestant church. Meanwhile, way in the backside of the city of God, the gate of follow and discipleship is just kind of swinging unlatched with no one guarding it. Bonhoeffer called it cheap grace. This notion of we're, we are so dead set on being right about the invitation that we have de-emphasized by accident the challenge of the cross. Of what does it mean to be a disciple? What, what Luke wrote here and what Jesus said here in Luke 9, 23 through 26 are the words of Christ describing a real believer. It's just not a different kind of belief. He's saying the belief that I invite you into will necessarily progress to the day where you put a foot on the mountain and start to climb. And you can't climb the mountain, but I enable you to climb the mountain with my spirit and my grace because I'm making you into a new believer. A mountain climber is what he's doing. He's making us to do things that we could never have done. But we have to climb it. We don't we necessarily will climb it if we are in the faith. I don't want you to set off up the mountain if you're not in the faith, right? You'll be some cold, dead lump halfway up. In Christ, we are enabled. There's a label in the churches. It's called seeker-sensitive. That's an industry label. Seeker-sensitive church, culture, has done something very, very well. They have done a great job splitting the atom on how do we make sure we are invitational with the gospel to all people. They've done a very good job there. Really good. But they have emphasized invitation so much over challenge that what has happened in our general church culture is we've almost invented a new word, belief. We have separated what God has joined together. We've said, well, that's belief and this is following. No, belief follows. 
There is not two ideas. It is a continuum. God is highly invitational, invites the entire earth to look at his mountain. It is so big, everyone can see it over every horizon all the time. So that the truth of God is clearly seen to all men, so they are without excuse. Come climb me. Right? He sits on the mountain and he teaches to the masses. Come up here. Come here. And then when we arrive, he says, start climbing. That is the faith. But what we've done, what we've done is we've, we believe that belief saves, but we've accidentally redesigned, redefined belief. Jesus is always talking about belief when he's talking about disciple. But we look at the belief passages, and we don't quite know what to do with the Luke 9.23 passages. And I've seen, I've, seen, I've seen terrible efforts on this. Well, it's easier for a rich man to get in the kingdom of God than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. And people talking about, well, eye of a needle was the small gate in the city. No. It's the eye of a needle. Jesus is saying, following requires radical self-denial and daily learning to bear our cross through his spirit. The ascetic can do it without the spirit to no avail. He's saying you must believe and then find joy and release. It's like if we were climbing the mountain of God. This is how you know you're in Christ. Is if you're climbing the mountain of God, the air would get thinner to your body, right? It's the self-denial. Is it would be harder and harder for you, the old man, to breathe. But you would know as you climbed that there would be, there would be a new warmth and a new air about being given to you that would spur you on so that your body is saying, don't do that. But your spirit is saying, you got to go a little farther. That's the life of Christ. The life of Christ makes the old man cold way above the tree line, but it makes the new man warm because he's approaching the sun. That's the life of Christ. That's what's happening when we believe and we continue further in belief. Now, what does this have to do with that nice, warm feeling that we feel in the church? I'll say this. Um, When Jesus gave the Great Commission, it did not say this in Matthew 28, that Jesus turned to his believers and said, go make believers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to believe everything I've commanded you. He did not say that. We are not on a quest to generate emotional or intellectual assent to the idea and joy that Jesus Christ died for the nations. We are on a commissioned charter to create and raise people who will deny themselves and daily take up their cross and follow Jesus. That's what we are trying to do as a church. The church has been chartered, not simply to talk about how great Jesus is. It has been chartered to be highly invitational, and we could be more invitational. I could be more. I am not an invitational person. So the Lord pushes on me to say it is good news. We could be more invitational But we are raising up followers, disciples of Jesus. Okay, so so why? I got enough time here. Why why does this matter? This is is what I hope. Rarely do I do this. If you could walk away from this morning with three things, 
I hope this is what you would walk away with. Not because I said it, but because it's true, because it's in the word. It's all over the word. It is the word. I hope you could walk away with this. I hope you walk away first knowing that Jesus, you could say to yourself, Jesus desires for my life that I would mature beyond belief to being a true follower. Like in the way, and I hope you could say it for yourself before the Lord in a way that allows him to speak, allows him to point at something in your life and say, you haven't given that to me and you know you need to give it to me. And, you know, then you start going, but Lord, it is a mountain I have tried to climb. And he said, I know, I know. But you need to give it to me today. And you'll give it to me tomorrow. Because it's daily. Like, I hope the true conviction of God's true word, that it would reach in and grab that place that in you that's right and you can't touch it, shake it. And say, you do want to be holy, don't you? If you're in Christ, you truly do want to be holy and pure and righteous, and wise, and quiet before the Lord. There's some part of us that knows what it means to fear God. And you want it. So that's the first thing I would hope, is that at least the word is true at that level. And I want to say, I invite you into that. God wants it for all of his people. But I want a second thing, which is this. That you would recognize that that is not only true of myself, but that is also true of the church. That you would appreciate that just as God wants you to pursue him from belief to discipleship, or from belief to deeper belief, from faith to following, just as he wants you to do that, that is the very thing he's calling our church to do. That is the commission of the church. The commission and charter of the church of Jesus Christ, which was built on the foundation of a follower, not a a believer, a follower. He built it on the disciple. Is to go make them. Go repeat it. In other words, you must understand the ingredients that go into making a true God follower because you have to make them. I would hope that you could, you could come from, not only is it true in my life, but just as when during the leading of the worship music, how we went from singing about us to singing about us. Went from singing to you to singing about us. That that's true in the scriptures. God makes followers, then he puts followers together, and he says to the followers, go make followers. Go make disciples. I hope that you would go from the first idea, and you would migrate to the second idea and say that is equally true. And I'm, Lord, I allow you to convict me there. Because I'll say this, there is the temptation to go, wow, there is a really nice vibe in a fellowship, okay? And I'm sure there's many churches around that have a, a warm, cozy feeling. And we can chase, and this has been happening for me, you can chase the tail. You can chase the feeling and find yourself guilty of idolatry. But all idolatry is chasing a good thing too far. We cannot pursue, like, how do we maintain a warm, inviting fellowship? How do we become a warm, inviting How do we stay an inviting fellowship? How do we always be friendly, friendly, friendly? The Lord would say, this is not about being friendly. That's romperoom. This is about being the people of God who follow. We must pursue the first things to their end, and the second things come as an end of that. And so there's a sense of, what does God want mean for you to be a follower? 
wrestling with the reality of God intends for the church. And remember, the church is not a mysterious reality that is, does not involve you. It is nothing but you. It's nothing but you. These are chairs, but you're the church. It's the church's reality to raise up followers. And then this is the third thing. That if God does want us to make disciples, if God is calling us to make disciples, it would be a willingness over these next five weeks, this, so this is for me, is a willingness over the next five weeks to open our hearts, open our minds and say, like, Lord, help us understand who we are and who you want us to be. Give us a better sense of the ingredients that go into making a disciple and shepherd us along, Lord, so that we can see our present state, the things that are good, the things that are challenged, the things that could be, but view our present state in light of the fact that you're actually trying to make disciples. You're not trying to make believers, you're trying to make disciples. That's what I'm asking. I'm asking in the name of Jesus. Because it's his church, right? It's not your church, it's not my church, it's his church. I'm an under-shepherd of the great shepherd. We are under-sheep of the great sheep who sits on the throne alive today, wounded yet living. That's who we serve. We want to make disciples. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good to us. You invite us in. More, maybe even for some people, you tricked us in. You're so desirous to have us, you tricked us in. And then you tell us about the mountain. And so, Lord, I pray for each person here, myself included, that we would daily desire to be a more fervent believer, a a deeper disciple, a true follower of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that the other things that tempt us in in the way we think about church, whether it's from a a congregant, someone who's here, who comes here to receive a service, Lord, I pray that over these next five weeks you would encounter them and say, listen, coming to church is not about getting something. Coming to church is about being a body of believers. Lord, I lift that person up to you. I lift up those here who think to themselves, I don't know how I'm a useful part of the church because I am so useless. Lord, I pray that you would speak strongly into them saying, I did not invite you because you were useless. I'm making you useful. A God that you waste no one for your kingdom. That this is truly a conversation, a language that the church has to have together. Lord, we desire to be the city on the hill, the light to the world, not something that's covered up by a bushel, but something that's bright so that it invites people to come and challenges them to live in you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.